uh, we've got an intersection of one of our ministries with one of our people. Uh, Sean Euland is a, a business person and mom and now an author, and she has a little intersection here with Ben and Doreen Lynn. So, Sean, come on up. We want to talk about that for just a minute. Um, first of all, thanks for, for doing this. Now, you are headed to Dublin next Friday, not this Friday, but next Friday the 19th. Why? Well, as many of you know, um, Ben and Doreen have a mission outreach uh, to uh, men and women in the Dublin area who struggle with addiction issues, primarily alcohol and drug-related. So I am heading over to attend and be blessed by um, working with and serving uh, women at this particular retreat, again, with addiction issues who are struggling and in the throes of uh, trying to come out uh, through recovery. And um, Ben and Doreen uh, work with these women and men throughout the year. But this retreat during the summer is an opportunity for them to um, share more about um, the gospel and a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, um, you have a, a story to tell. God has taken you through uh, quite a journey. In fact, it's the subject of this book that you have written called His Story. And I know that the, the, I've had a chance to read it, and the, the end result is real encouragement in Jesus. Now, uh, just real briefly, what do you plan to share with these women and men in Dublin that, uh, that kind of parallels what you've been through? Good. Um, well, primarily, um, you know, what I want to share is, is the hope of Jesus and the, um, that true healing, you know, and we're all broken, whether it's by, through addiction or, you know, just life, living in life, sin, whether it's our own or, or others, um, but true healing uh, comes through, um, from brokenness to healing, comes through knowing Jesus through the cross and, and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And for us, our story um, goes way back, but in my, my marriage and um, our, our relationship, there was a struggle, a major struggle with addiction. And it was... Um, a little bit different. It was sexual addiction and pornography, but that um, struggle and battle in our life and in our marriage was uh, ended up that um, in our marriage not making it. We ended up years later uh, divorced, very broken. Um, uh, even though we were Christians at at the time, uh, it was a, a an addiction that didn't really know existed. As a wife, it wasn't. Uh, aware that that was part of the uh, the problem and in the major struggle that we were having. But God is a great and merciful and gracious God, and he will go uh, into our darkest corners, and it, no matter how broken and how lost we might be and how devastated our lives might be, the great redeemer of our souls and the great shepherd you know will seek us out 
and continue to chase us. I think in the, the book I refer to Jesus as the eternal chaser, the chaser who wants to enter into uh, relationship with us no matter, again, no matter how lost, how broken, no matter what uh, you know, our brokenness might come from, uh, he wants to pursue us and have a relationship that brings healing and wholeness. And in our story, um, ultimately, God uh, had his way in my former husband's life at the end of his life. And uh, God is a redeeming God and a God of restoration. And so I want to share with these women um, just the fact that there is a God that sees great value in them and in their lives and has um, a heart that wants to draw them near in relationship with him. Thanks. Uh, obviously, this is something that's difficult to even talk about, much less write about. And uh, uh, as I read it, uh, it's very, very clear that God has honored everybody in the, that's mentioned in the book is, is honored. Nobody's thrown under the bus because we're all kind of in the same boat in that we all deal with sin. Brokenness, yeah. Yes. And God brings healing. So how, uh, how can we pray for you as you uh, get ready to head over there? Well, I ask, first of all, for prayers for the women that we'll be working with. Um, again, they're most of them coming from backgrounds of, of severe hurt, brokenness, devastation. Um, shame often, you know, leads to um, greater brokenness. I think um, it, the enemy, you know, is, is real. His lie is that we're worth uh, nothing, that we're... Um, never going to make it, that uh, we have no value. Um, perhaps, you know, it might be that he uh, tells us that we are what we do and how well we perform and maybe how people's view, how people uh, view us, what their opinions of us are. But truly our self-worth comes through knowing Jesus Christ and, and our true value and true identity in Jesus. So um, want to share that message, you know, that we know well here through the wonderful teaching of Joel and Don and Kurt, that really we are no longer, you know, uh, in Adam, that we're new creations, and that uh, with the help of a, a loving Savior, support from a loving community and people that want to reach into, again, our, our darkness and the depths of our brokenness uh, to bring healing. So, I'd, want to, I'd ask you to pray for each woman that's going to be attending, that their hearts would just be ready and um, ripe. Many of them, through Ben and Doreen's uh, wonderful love and outreach, have come to know Jesus already as their personal Savior. But again, we just want to walk them into a greater, more intimate and personal relationship with the Lord. Um, also, for Ben and Doreen's continued work with them after, after the retreat, that these women would continue to grow. We're going to use some of Joel's material um, on how to study the Bible, uh, how to get, have a more uh, in-depth and, and a more personal relationship uh, with the Lord. And for me, I think just um, for wisdom on, mm -hmm. and uh, just the discernment and how to you know, maybe share with each woman. You know, everyone is so 
unique and yet we're so much alike and what we really need is 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 the love of Christ and the love of other people so I just want to be used uh, however God would do that well thank you and we want to be praying for you now you're going to be there from the 19th to how long well, the re retreat is almost a week. It's about five days, and then I'm going to be staying for a little bit longer afterwards. But um, the retreat is from uh, Monday the 20th. We arrive, though, our 22nd on the 21st, and it goes through that Thursday night. So for that week, uh, last week in July. So we can be praying for VBS and for Sean uh, over in Dublin. So, well, let's do that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mighty power uh, that you, you wrought in Christ when you raised us from the dead. When you raised him from the dead and you raised us from the dead with him. Uh, thank you for um, Sean's obedience to the promptings of your spirit and for her courage to speak about um, issues that are often just covered up. Lord, your, uh, your power is able to deal with every, every sin issue in our lives and bring hope and healing. And we just ask that that's exactly what you would do and that, uh, that her speaking would uh, complement and amplify what, uh, what Ben and Doreen have been uh, sharing with these women and men. Uh, might this be a time when your Holy Spirit works in powerful, powerful ways. And uh, keep Sean safe going and coming and while she's there and calm her nerves and uh, help, help her just to be a clear, clear voice for you. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Uh, I notice that the earliest people here usually sit as far back as they can. And so if some... One of these times, one of these Sundays, we're going to, uh, while, we're, while Josh is giving the prayer right before the message, I'm going to take the pulpit and go back there. We're all going to turn our seats around. Since you like those seats so much, uh, we're going to turn it around, and I will speak to you being in the front row, for front few rows. So uh, not to make any of you feel guilty or anything, but uh, it's uh, good to be together with you this morning. Uh, Sean going to Ireland, you know, Sean is not trained. She's just like the rest of us. You know, we're, we're just, uh, she just loves the Lord. She has a story to tell. It's his story. By the way, if you want to buy that book, you can get it on Amazon. Just look for Sean Euland, his story. It's on Amazon. And if you'd like to buy that book, uh, uh, She's got a real story to tell that's been, seems like it's being very, used very much by our Lord. And if you'd like to buy the book, please do that. But, but Sean is just, uh, she's just going over there to share Jesus' love and share Jesus' truth with these people and just kind of the story of how the Lord worked in her life and in her husband's life, Craig's life. And, and uh, so she's got quite a story to tell. I know that financially uh, she's, she's doing this trip on her own. Uh, if you want to help her, please, uh, you can help her financially, and I know she'd greatly appreciate that. She did not ask us to do this. I'm just doing it. Uh, but she has a real heart to share truth with others, and she has this opportunity where she's going to have six hours plus an hour and a half workshop three times a week and and so um 
Let's just really uphold her in prayer. She goes over to minister with Ben and Doreen there in Ireland. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we are looking at the third church this morning um, that is uh, talked about in Revelation, and it's um, every one of those, these is very, you can see similarities of some kind in, either in our own lives or in the life of our church. And so we have to pick out, because what he says at the end of each one of these, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So yes, he's addressing a specific church, but he wants these other churches as they're receiving their messages to also be listening to what he's saying to the other churches because they may have people there who are struggling with some of the same issues. So Lord, we... we pray this morning that as we look at this passage, there's, there's so much to look at here. Um, I, I just uh, pray that you keep me on track and because uh, uh, it's really easy to go uh, off on little tangents here that are valuable tangents. They aren't, they aren't a waste of time. They're really valuable. So give me the wisdom to know which ones to go off on. Uh, but uh, thank you that you are with us this morning, and we can pray for people like Sean, who's going out and ministering in the strong name of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would use her greatly over there, that uh, she would see results far beyond what she's capable of producing, and that uh, she would just, uh, by faith, uh, open up and say, Lord, here am I, use me. And so, Lord, may that be the attitude, whether we're over in Ireland or whether we're here in the United States, whether we're in the Philippines or whether we're in Kenya, or it doesn't matter where we are, that, Lord, here, are, here we are. We, we as a church and we as individual Christians, here we are. Use us in, in ministering and sharing the great message of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy, worthy to be talked about and to be believed in and to follow. And so may each one of us here today be followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's something in, the, in this passage where we are maybe compromising um, in an area, either concerning the person of the Lord Jesus or the message of the Lord Jesus, if we are compromising each in an, in an area, may we be open when you reveal that to us. And may we do what this passage says, repent of that and trust fully in the Lord Jesus Christ and his message alone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. But I'd like for you to keep your finger there and then go back in the Bible. It's the only direction you could go if you're in Revelation. Uh, go back in the Bible to Hebrews. It's, it's just a few, few books uh, uh, earlier than this. But Hebrews chapter 4 uh, has been a, a powerful message in my own life. Um, it, it just, uh, it, it re I, I remember when I first learned these truths from Hebrews chapter 4 and how, how, how it impacted me so much because this is just such wonderful truth to understand. But he says in chapter 4 verse 11, let us, let, therefore let us be diligent, that means to make every effort to enter into that rest. This rest that he's talking about is us resting from our own labors and our own efforts and resting totally in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he wants to do in us and through us. 
And, and so we, we, that's the rest that God has available for even people back in the Old Testament, for the Israelites. But they never entered in because of their disobedience and unbelief. They wouldn't trust God. They wanted to work it out themselves. They wanted to be dependent on their own efforts. And they, they didn't trust God and they disobeyed God and, and they never entered into that rest. So he says in verse 11, Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And then he says, here's, here's one of the ways that God uses to reveal where we're resting and when we're not. In verse 12, listen to this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, the Lord doesn't just work with our behavior or our words. He, he works on the inside. He, he's able to judge the thoughts and the motives, uh, why we're doing things and what our thinking is behind what we're doing there. He uses the word to do that. That's the reason we need to be people of the word so that we know what the Word teaches when we face situations or face choices in life. We know what the Word teaches because God uses that in our lives to reveal what needs to be dealt with. And the reason that you can trust the Word to do that, because it says in verse 13, there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him we, whom, with whom we have to do. And I've said this many times before when I've shared this passage, that verse used to scare the wits out of me. Because I had pretty good flesh. I, you know, outwardly I, I looked good, but inwardly my thoughts and motives were rotten. And I didn't want anybody to know that, especially God. And yet you come across a verse like this and you realize, well, God, you're quite a God. But that shouldn't scare the wits out of us. Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, God knowing all about us and using the word to reveal what areas we're resting in and what areas we're not, that shouldn't scare us away. That should cause us to have confidence and hold fast our confession, our confession of Jesus. For we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he never sinned. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When those areas of unrest or where we're not resting show up, we are to go to this wonderful high priest, our, our Lord Jesus, and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so I put on your handout, Jesus uses the word to reveal areas where we are resting in him and where we're not. Thank God! <laughs> Thank God that out of his love for us, he reveals areas where we're messing up, where we're not walking by faith where we're not walking in line with his word, where we're not walking in a, a way that is pleasing to him or that honors him. 
And so the third mark, this is the third church here, the third mark of a true and living church is faithfulness to Jesus and God's word alone. Now, we're, we're writing back there in the, you know, reading back there in the, the Revelation passage, back to Revelation chapter 2, we're, we're reading about this church at Pergamum. Uh, Pergamum was the capital of Asia. It could be, be compared to Washington, D.C., you know, kind of the political capital of, of, of our country here. It was 50 miles north of Smyrna, the one we looked at last week, and it's 15 miles from the coast there. But it was the official residence of the governor of the province. And here's what this city practiced and believed. Along with acknowledging Caesar as God or Lord, the city also recognized Zeus as Savior, Athena as Victor, and Asclepius as the God of medicine. It was a morally and spiritually depraved city, and its thinking was showing up in the local church. Rather than the church having an impact on its area, the local area was having an impact on that church there in the city. It's exactly the opposite of what should have been taking place. And what was happening in the local church was they were compromising their commitment to Christ alone and tolerating ungodly teaching. So look at verse 12 with me. And the angel or messenger of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my, Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have some there who, there are some who, who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. To him I will give some of the hidden, hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the, that stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. And so he begins by saying in verse 12, you know, he says, compromising church, look at your Lord. Every church starts out with this, this, uh, this uh, particular description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every church doesn't have the same description. The description of the Lord Jesus here is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. It's, you know, it's the sword of truth. We, in Ephesians, it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the, the words of God, the, the specific words here in the Scripture. And so Jesus is described as just, this is what this church, this particular church needed at that time in its existence. But he starts out and says, look at your Lord, because your Lord is far above any Caesar or governor or false god. There is no comparison. He stands alone. You can't say, well, this the particular God is a little bit like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. 
And notice also that Jesus wants them there. He doesn't say, you guys are messing up. I'm going to pull the plug on you. You're not going to be a lampstand anymore. He doesn't do that. He wants them there. He wants Hilltop and other Bible-believing, Jesus-trusting churches here in our area. He wants us here. We're to be lampstands. And he simply, out of his love, points out what needs to be dealt with. He wants them as a lampstand shining in the midst of that dark city. And we live in a dark age. We live in a dark country. We live in a dark, uh, you know, morally, spiritually dark area. And Jesus wants us here. He doesn't want us giving in to what it's practicing, but he also doesn't want us to leave the area. He wants us here. And we need to hear and respond to Jesus, this one who is and speaks the truth of God. It's Jesus who is and has and uses the sword, the, the words of God. So compromising church, Jesus says, start with me. Put your focus on me. You've got it in the wrong places right now. You're listening to the wrong people. You've got the wrong message. Get, let's get your thinking straight here. I want you to focus on me first and realize I'm the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. And I use that to reveal where you are resting. There are a lot of things good about this church. But I also reveal to you where you aren't resting in me. You're not finding everything you need in me. And so I'm going to point those areas out because I love you. And then he says in verse 13, a compromising church, your Lord is looking at you. And he says here, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And as the Lord looks at this church, he says, I know your living conditions are tough. They're hard. You dwell where Satan's throne is. And yet you remain true to my name. Good job. Keep it up. You see, Satan was the real ruler of that church. You know, they thought of Athena and Zeus and Asclepius. And, you know, they, they were thinking, and Caesar, governor. They were thinking of all these people being in control. But really, Satan was the real ruler of that city. Satan is described, in, I think, well in, in John chapter 8. He's described as a deceiver and a destroyer. He's a, he's a murderer and he's a liar. A liar deceives and a murderer destroys. That's all he is. That's his nature. It's who he is. And the Bible, Jesus makes an amazing statement when he talks about Satan. There, He says there is no truth in him. None. Absolutely not. One bit of truth in Satan. Never believe his lies. He's always out to destroy and deceive. And we need to understand that. As I mentioned last week, four out of the seven churches talk about Satan. And we rarely talk about him. You know, people kind of, oh, you don't believe that stuff, do you? 
Well, Jesus surely does. He says, you guys are living where Satan's throne is. You see, it was satanic to acknowledge Zeus as Savior and Caesar as Lord and Asclepius as, as healer and Athena as victor. Church, church, he says there in, in Pergamum, understand your enemy and his deceit. And I think we need to do that too. That anytime we make even a, 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 a Christian an idol, that's wrong. You know, some of us go around, we just quote certain Christians. And that's okay that you're quoting them as long as you're quoting what they're saying about the Bible's truth. The Bible is what we need to go around. It's what Bob's, remember my story, many times you've heard this, but when I, I was an intern with Bob Smith, whenever I'd ask him a question, he'd take me to God's Word. And so instead of going around saying, well, Bob Smith says this about this issue, I, he, he taught me to go to God's Word and say, God says this about this issue. And we shouldn't well say, well, at, at Hilltop Community Church, we believe this, uh, you know, and we go around saying that. We need to say, well, God says this. Jesus says this. We're listening to Jesus' truth. And in, in, in the midst of Satan here, this is Satan's where Satan's throne is. In the midst there, he says, you hold fast my name. Jesus was Lord, Jesus was ruler, Jesus was God, Jesus was the great physician. That's who he is. And these Christians here have been faithful even to the point of death. You didn't deny my faith. And we must, you know, we must have put this on your bulletin. If you're reading, following along on the bulletin and want to fill this in. You didn't deny my faith. We must hold fast to who Jesus is and his words. And you didn't deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you. It means it was just, it happened once. It wasn't happening all the time, but it had happened. It wasn't a continuing crisis, but it was a, it was a crisis. But, but who, they were probably wondering, who's next? You know, if I'm faithful to Jesus alone and to his word alone, am I next? So they were risking their lives for Jesus. They had been true to him. But then in verse 14, we have that, but. <laughs> but I, I have a few things against you because you have there some who, who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who are in the same way, who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. These Christians there were compromising in some areas. And he says to them, Christian, you're compromising church, look what you're doing. And I thought, you know, I came across this statement in one of the, the resources that I was using, and I wrote it down there. By their compromise, the living word was grieved by the willfulness of a minority, it's a small group in the church, and the lack of concern from the majority tolerating internal attack from false teachers. In other words, there was a small group of people there who were following false teaching here, false teachers, and, and, and 
the rest of the body was letting them do it. And both groups are wrong. And so we hear, see here that Satan was at work in that city, but he was also at work in the church. You have some who hold the teaching of Balaam. I was reading that passage this week back in, and you have to look at Numbers chapters 22, 23, 24, and 25. And then you have to look at Numbers chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. And then in Second Peter chapter 2, 15 and 16, all those passages give us the details of this. But King Balak of Moab was terrified of the Israelites. Keep in mind, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were from two to four million people. This isn't a small group of about 10 to 12 people. This is millions of people when they come out. And King Balak of Moab, he had seen what, he, what that group, you know, another group tried to attack the Israelites and it didn't work out well for them. The Israelites defeated them. And King Balak of Moab was terrified of these Israelites because he thought, this king, thought that they, the Israelites, would destroy his nation. And so he tries to hire Balaam to curse Israel, but our Lord overrode Balaam's words every time. Instead of cursing, which he was hired to do, he always blessed Israel. And it upset not only King Balak, but it also upset Balaam. But moved by greed, he wanted to be paid by the king. He counseled King Balak to use Moabite girls to seduce Israeli men by inviting them to take part in their idolatrous and immoral feasts. And the Bible says the Lord's anger, Yahweh's anger, burned against Israel because they compromised. What it says in the text there, Balaam showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by, calling food, by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. The Israelites became guilty of both idolatry and sexual immorality. Same thing going on in Pergamum. Same thing going on in many churches in the world. Guilty of idolatry and sexual immorality all in the name of worship. And we pointed this out a couple of weeks ago, but Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, says that worshiping idols is in reality worshiping demons. You look at all the false religions that are around the world when you, when you compare them with Christianity. They're false. They're idolatrous. And really, they're worshiping demons. It's satanic. They aren't harmless. It's satanic. It's of the devil. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, the first result of suppressing God's truth is idolatry. They don't, people don't stop worshiping. They just worship the wrong thing. 
And we need to keep in mind, you know, that, that Romans 1 passage, I keep going back to that because it's, it's by far the best description of our country today, by far, and why it's going through what it's going through. The Bible says God's wrath is being poured out from heaven against all, uh, you know, uh, the, the ungodliness and unright, uh, injustice of mankind. The reason why, the reason why, is because they, God has given them truth, but they've suppressed it. They're not just ignoring it, they're willfully choosing not to pay attention to it. It's not an ignorance issue. It's a, a deliberate choice to suppress truth God has given them. And it shows up in four ways. It shows up first in idolatry. Second, it shows up in sexual immorality. Third, it shows up in sexual perversion. And fourth, it shows up in the society in which it is, you know, that is practicing this in terms of they, they hate each other and they're greedy and they're jealous and they hurt each other and they slander each other and they put down each other and they, 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 they end up not only practicing wrong things themselves, but they encourage other people to practice those same wrong things. In fact, many times they legalize it. And that's what's going on in our country. But keep in mind, the sin that all of them are guilty of and that you're seeing the results of is they are suppressing God's truth. They, God has given them some truth. He may have given them a lot of truth, but they're suppressing it. And it shows up in those four different ways. And so you look at our country and you see exactly where we are idolatrous you know we, we <laughs> you can worship any other god but you can't worship the god of the bible can't even mention his name can't pray to him that was one of my digressions you see, the Bible teaches any sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship that God defines as between a man and a woman, any sexual activity outside of that marriage relationship is defined by God as sexual immorality. It is sin. And the point he makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is, don't you know that your bodies are bought with a price? Don't you know that your bodies belong to God? They don't belong to anybody else. They don't even belong to you. Our bodies, you know, our, our spirits and our souls belong to him, but so do our bodies. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, he says in that 1 Corinthians 6 passage. Your body is precious to God. And practicing sexual immorality of any kind, pornography, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's sin. And so they, they were compromising with this worldly morality. They were compromising with this false teaching in that church. The church was listening to the wrong teachers. The church was listening to false teachings. I 
put on your handout, there's no place in Christianity for such liberty to sin, for, for this unrestrained sexual indulgence and idolatry. These practices are not in line. If you're writing in on the handout on your bulletin, these practices are not in line with God's word, nor do they reveal who we are in Christ. Back in first, this is another digression. Back in in First Corinthians chapter five, there was immorality going on. It says it's actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind as doesn't even exist among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. Apparently, this this stepson has is having sexual practicing sexual relations with his stepmother. And he says, you as a church have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, for I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, I'm there with you in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. And he says these incredible words here, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, uh, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This guy is a Christian but is committing sexual immorality. And everybody in the church knows about it. And they aren't doing anything. It's a compromising church. And they're saying, well, we love this individual. And, you know, they need to be dealt with out of love. But he said, I, I've, de- I've, de- I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to say, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral peace." people. I didn't at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, then you'd have to go out of the world. You know, can't, you're just going to be faced with those. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he's an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? You know, those outside of Christianity or who claim to be Christians. Do you not judge those who are within the church? Those who are outside, God judges. He says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Compromising with sexual immorality is not loving. It's not of God. We need to move alongside that individual, but to help them, show them their sin, and show them God's solution for their sin. They can repent. Verse 15, you also have some who hold the ticket, you know, the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You know, really what Balaam was to Israel, the Nicolaitans were to Christians. And the church of Pergamum had allowed these false teachers to infiltrate their ranks. 
And we have a lot of different Bible studies going on in this church, which I praise God for. But be sure that they're teaching the Bible. Be sure you're studying the Bible. In verse 16, uh, compromising church, look what's at stake. He says there, therefore, repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. I find that quite an interesting verse. First of all, he tells them to repent. Repent of your toleration of these false teachers. Repent of the compromise that's blurred the line between, between Jesus and the false gods of the city. Repent of your immoral practices. Repent. That's the solution. Repent. Turn back to Jesus. Because Jesus loves his own too much to leave us there. If the Lord reveals something to you, don't go around feeling guilty and ashamed and all this other stuff and kind of wallowing in self-pity for a couple of weeks. It's the way I used to deal with when I became aware that I was sinning. What the Lord was doing there was graciously revealing to me what needed to be dealt with so that I could walk in victory over those things. If the Lord reveals an area of sexual immorality or reveals an area where you're uh, following a, a, a false teacher or false teaching, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I want to deal with it. I want to rest in you. I want to see your life being lived out through me. And I, right now my actions are preventing people seeing the Jesus who lives within me. And I find it's interesting that he says, I'm coming in judgment against the false teachers. He's not coming in judgment against them. He's disciplining them here. That's what our loving Father does. But I'm coming quickly. And I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with the false teachers. But the victory here, it, it comes from repentance and listening to the words from Jesus' mouth. In other words, God holds us responsible for his truth we have heard. And he's going to deal with these false teachers even if the church didn't. But for your own individual lives there, for this minority in the church there at Pergamum, you need to deal with this. You need to turn away from that and turn back to your faith in the Lord Jesus and I, I, I put on your handout just this point here, a red flag, adding to or taking away from Jesus' words ends in disaster. You, you have a movement today that are taking away words of the Bible because they say, well, we just want the true gospel and we're going to make the decision on what the true gospel is. And they just wipe out a lot of the writing of Scripture. It results in disaster. Either all Scripture is, is God-breathed or it isn't. It's very clear that it is. It's all God-breathed. We need to take it seriously no matter where we are in the Scripture. Yes, you want to teach it in context. You want to always know the context of a passage 
verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him who repents, walks in by faith. To him I will give some of the, the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Compromising church, look at the promise of God. Look at what Jesus said is going to happen if you repent and turn back. From this, turn away from this false teaching and these false teachers and these false, these wrong practices. We need to take very seriously Jesus' words, but at the same time, we need to understand, we need to be reminded that those who repent and depend upon Jesus and his words have nothing to fear. Shouldn't go away from this. If you're guilty of something that's been revealed to you this morning from this passage, if Jesus has revealed that to you, then, then understand that he also has given the solution for that. He's not trying to just criticize you and tear you down. We have nothing to fear from such a Lord as that, or one who lovingly reveals what needs to be dealt with. So listen up. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches, that we can walk in victory over the words and deeds and thinking, over those sins. We can hear and respond in trusting obedience to Jesus' words. And he says, there are three promises for the overcomer. To him or her, I will give the hidden manna, a white stone and a new name. And this hidden manna comes from the Old Testament. This manna, in fact, the word manna means in the Old Testament, what is it? We aren't even sure, but it was on the ground every morning to feed from two to four million people for 40 years. It wasn't just a fluke. God provided them out in the middle of the desert. He provided for them this manna that they had every day. And they weren't supposed to gather it on Saturday, and so God he, he gave them twice as much on Friday. I mean, that, that's a God. That's a God that you can trust. Well, here, this hidden man, you know, Jesus said that he's the, he's the true bread from heaven. Jesus quoted, let, every, let you know, live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Feed on him and his words. You're going to find blessing there when you do that. And this white stone, this was used by the Romans in legal trials, indicating acquittal. And it was used in academic grading systems, indicating good grades. It was used in the athletics, at the athletic games, as the winner, given a white stone. And on that stone will be a new, fresh name. In the ancient world, the name was to sum up what a person stood for. Jesus, by the way, just means Savior. His name <laughs> indicates Savior. So I, I conclude with this on your handout. Jesus, or Jude chapter 3, or chapter, not chapter, it doesn't have any chapters. It's just one. Uh, Jude 3 says, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Listen to that. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all. That's what we've got in the Bible. Handed down to the saints. And 1 Timothy 6.20 says, Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Know who you are and what you believe. 
Make sure it lines up with Jesus' words. Remain faithful to Jesus, your Lord and Savior, and His truth during times of suffering and temptation. If you've compromised, if you've discovered, if He's let you discover an area where you're not resting in Him, repent of it and understand His forgiveness, and He will give you the hidden man and a white stone bearing your new name. Rest in the one who is truth. And so as we've been saying, how is Jesus the answer for you and your struggles? I hope you answer these with your family or with your mate or with a friend. I, I hope you go through these questions and honest, take some time, honestly answer them. And what are areas of compromise that our Lord is pointing out really in our church or in your life? How are these areas of compromise being revealed in your thinking and practices? How is repentance the answer for you? Review these two verses there, Jude 3 and 1 Timothy 6.20. How are these verses helpful in your walk? How do you need to make the truths of this passage personal? What's the first step you'll take? And so before we sing this song, that we've kind of made our theme song for these, uh, these verses, Give Me Jesus, Lord, we come to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the kind of Lord that you are. Thank you that you speak truth. We can trust you in your words. And you use your truth in astounding ways. You use them sometimes to teach us, just to give us instruction that we need. Sometimes you use this to show us where our thinking or our practices are wrong. Sometimes you use the word to reveal areas where we are, are uh, that, that need to be corrected. And you show how to correct them. Uh, sometimes you reveal your words just to train us, just to kind of equip us as time goes by. Thank you for your use of the word and thank you that we can trust you completely. May we do that. May this church, may the other churches in this area be known as churches who trust Jesus, who trust you and who, who live by your words alone. We aren't adding to, we're not taking away from your words. We're trusting you and your words alone. So thank you for our time and your, your word this morning. Thank you for time, uh, our, our singing praises. Thank you that we can uh, uh, be praying for a, a, a beloved sister that uh, is going to share your truth uh, to, to other people who need your truth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.